You're listening to the Build Shaves Podcast, presented by Midco Sports. Another fall sports season is almost here, and Midco Sports has it covered like no one else. This month, tune in for live coverage of college and high school football in the Dakotas, including Fighting Hawks football broadcasts both home and away, as well as Summit League volleyball and soccer, and so much more. Watch on Midco Sports and streaming on Midco Sports Plus. This is how we do sports, and this is the Build Shaves Podcast. Yes, we're back. All right. <laughs> Welcome to another season of the Build Shapes Podcast, episode 135, season six, Bill. My goodness, Ooh. Bill Shaves, Alex Heinert, and special guest, which we're going to get to in just a moment. Bill, first off, how are you as we get set on another academic year here in 2023? Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Uh, awesome to see your face. Um, I know it's been two months, right? It's been, uh, I think, June 1 was our last pod. It does not feel like it's been two months, a quick two months here this summer. No, quick two months. And uh, like I said, I, I, all is good. Everything is, uh, you know, teeing up for us uh, sport-wise. And uh, we're just probably a couple of weeks away from the first day of school. So you got, you know, move in and all that excitement coming. So, uh, you know, it's it's great. It's, it's awesome. Looking forward to this year. And uh, I know we were talking pre-pod that there's a symmetry to this podcast, having uh, Commissioner Weems back. I mean, she ended last year and by by demand, she's back by again for, by, for another appearance here in 23-24. Uh, in yeah, it is exciting and it is fun. You meant you teased it right there. We are happy to welcome NCHC Commissioner Heather Weems to the podcast. And she closed down last season's episode talking all about the end of the year in the NCHC and exciting things happening in the conference. And now over the course of the last two months, Heather, a lot more news has come out as you've added another member. We're going to talk a lot about that edition of Arizona State coming next year. First off, thanks again for joining us once more on the Bill Shapes podcast. How has your summer been? It's been speedy, I think, and uh, it's great to be back. And, um, you know, we've got a little bit more time because we're not up and running with, you know, as the institutions are with football and soccer and their fall sports, but uh, we are just around the corner. So it's been a good summer. I was actually just up in Grand Forks a couple weeks ago. Um, my 12 year old son had a baseball tournament up there. So spent a little bit of time and actually I'll be back, Bill, you don't know this at the end of August, he's got a hockey tournament up there. Uh, so I just can't get enough of of, <laughs> of Grand Forks, North Dakota. <laughs> well, you're actually coming when the temperature gauge is above, let's just call it 50. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> With that, I think, Alex, probably just jump right in, right? Like big news, big news over the summer. And for the first time in, uh, in a decade, uh, the NCHC is expanding membership. And uh, Heather, just process, like just yeah. what, what, you know, and you've been in the league the entire time as well. Yeah. So you, 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 you have a good um, idea of kind of what uh, transpired, let's just say, yeah. over the last five or six years. So kind of just walk us through um, the yeah. ASU situation. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, obviously Arizona State has been part of our conversation for, I believe, since like 2015-16 when they did an initial application to to join the NCHC. At that time, you know, our league was only a few years old. Arizona State had just elevated to Division One. There were uh, maybe a little bit more 
um, you know, question marks in terms of where they were going and, and they didn't have a, a facility at the time. Um, and so at that time, the league, um, I think with good guidance, put in good effort, um, you know, to go out and do some tours and, and just kind of see what they had to offer, but determined that at that point we needed a little bit more stability within, within our league and, and maybe they needed a little bit more growth. So fast forward another five, you know, six years and, um, you know, they're still an independent. They've shown some success. They had some good years, uh, 2019. 2020 ended early with with the COVID year, um, but they've been a solid, you know, um, NCAA Division One hockey school. Uh, they got some funding um, and opened Mullet Arena out uh, in Tempe last um, fall, uh, and really have built the program in a way that we felt as a conference. Um, added to and and met kind of our philosophy and you know what we've always said in 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 the NCHC is we wanted uh, we want to be a, a a league of of programs that uh, look at national competitiveness year in and year out whose programs and institutions are committed to hockey as a flagship as one of their premier sports on their campus um, and and in the end you know after the uh, the arena opened and after we had continuing conversation uh, with Arizona State's leadership with our own leadership we thought that it would be a good opportunity to look at look look at expansion and certainly I, I mean obviously in the world of college athletics right now I, I think there's a, a little bit of craziness going on um, Anything that provides some stability, uh, I think, in college hockey is good, not just for the NCHC, but for college hockey as a whole. Um, and adding, you know, another another league member who who is well positioned to be nationally competitive um, and and committed to the sport of hockey only strengthens our league. It strengthens our brand, um, and and it gives us another market. Uh, to be honest, that that probably helps our coaches and and our programs, um, you know, be a little bit more visible on the West Coast as well. You touched on this, Heather. Obviously, Arizona State itself makes a ton of sense on a number of different levels. The geography, the success they've had, the investment they've put in the program. When you look at just expansion in general, talk a bit about just the benefits of adding a ninth team period. What are some of the advantages of just having an extra member for this group moving forward? I think that, I mean, in some ways it takes away a little bit of a question mark, you know, like if there were to be movement, if there were to be any shifts, you know, you've got a little bit more strength in, in terms of your members. Um, we have loved our 18 membership. I mean, we've had a ton of success, as you well know about that, but we weren't just looking for any member. Um, it wasn't just the, you know, expansion for the sake of expansion. It was an expansion for the sake of building our program of building, you know, rivalries. Um, I think for our Western schools, it makes a lot of sense, um, you know, and, and particularly with the the pods that we've now talked about in terms of scheduling. Uh, when you look at, um, you know, that Arizona State, Colorado College and Denver pod, that's that ultimately will be a really strong pod. It, it's it's good, um, you know, name recognition out in the West. Um, it, it strengthens, you know, their ability uh, to get some good games in and, and certainly for Arizona State to come in. Uh, that central pod, UMD, UND, St. Cloud State, um, I think that's another one that's going to be pretty, you know, big rivalries, you know, and 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 that's a good promise, I think, for all of our teams in that pod. It's going to be a tough pod as well. I mean, if you look at those three programs, those, um, in addition to Denver, those are probably perennially the last 10 years, really, the entirety of the league. Those have always been, you know, three programs that have been at the top. And then I think even one of the things that that maybe helped kind of get us across the finish line is when we decided to go with that pod system um, with our even with our Eastern schools, Western Michigan and um, and Miami. 
Miami and then adding in Omaha as that third. You know, it goes back a little bit to the the previous CCHA days, you know, early in the 2000s, um, but also it protects that they're going to be busing and, and, you know, that that protects that rivalry between Miami and and Western. So, you know, I think that from an expansion perspective in the sport of college hockey, where there's only 64 programs to have, I think it's important for us to be a leader um, and to give a place like Arizona State, who's done it the right way, who's invested in their program, um, who needed a home, that that is a good sign in college hockey to give them a place uh, to play and, and to have success. But again, I think it just adds to the stability of our league um, and ensuring that we continue to put um, strong contenders at the table as we get into playoff season every year. So Heather, uh, thanks for uh, jumping in on the scheduling uh, conversation. Obviously that's a piece of the puzzle as we had uh, discussions in regards to that. Um, and then postseason at this stage of the game still being discussed at this stage, right? Like nothing, we haven't voted on anything, um, but we still probably pretty quick are going to need to figure that one out. Yeah, we've got a few different options that we've put before the ADs. I'm still working on a few of those as well that that looks at um, postseason. And, and certainly, you know, really, if you look at it, there's there's a few um, th- there's a few options. And, you know, one from a coach's perspective, uh, coaches pretty adamant that they'd love to have all nine teams in the playoff opportunities. Uh, that's a conversation for the ADs as well. Um, but the, the other challenge as you're looking at a schedule is simply, you know, in the in the weeks that are available in the we've we've historically done a 14 week conference season. Um, we're looking at another option that would would expand it to a 15 week. It changes up the buys a little bit, um, but certainly it, it adds some complexity. Um, we did have a model that that you know played out um, with a buy in the second half for each of the teams that we're still kind of looking at, but you know trying to make balanced schedules with home and away series and that sort of thing. So we haven't quite gotten uh, to that finish line with the the schedule. I anticipate we'll get there in the probably the next two to three weeks um, because we have to. I, I mean, it's a year out, and and we need to make sure that um, our coaches have the ability to to re reorganize their schedules, um, you know, in the, in the few cases where it'll change up maybe some of their non-conference play. Yeah. I would say, you know, to, to follow up on that is I, I do believe this, the strength of our, um, of our conference is evident obviously in our historical results, but at the end of the day, even if you're the ninth team in our conference, you could go on a run. You, you could go on a run. And uh, at the end of the day, I, I fully get it. I, I get it. Now it just, it, provides a little bit of challenge for us as figuring some things out. But again, we scheduled through COVID. So I think we can figure this one out. I agree. I mean, we've learned that we can be flexible. It's not that we make everybody happy, but I, I don't know that we've ever made anybody ha- everybody happy in scheduling. <laughs> actually, actually, your job is to make everybody unhappy. Happy. Exactly. If I've done that, then I'm perfect. <laughs> That's exactly right. Equally unhappy. <laughs> You know, one thing, Heather, that I think our audience would like to hear more about is just the process. I know you kind of discussed, you know, coming up with some of these different models and and having the athletic directors discuss this and the coaches as well. Talk about how these schedules and these big changes get formulated. What is that process and, and how do you come to conclusions like you did with the pod system here for this upcoming season? 
Well, so, you know, um, we've been talking about the addition of Arizona State for probably the last, let's say, 12 months and um, maybe 18 months. And, you know, it was just kind of back there. I think coming out of Naples this year in our annual meetings, there was really a charge that we needed to make some movement. We needed to determine what direction we were going. We needed to get our presidents and chancellors involved. Ultimately, the decision with membership is always a, a decision of, of our board, which is the presidents and chancellors of the institution. So, um, you know, we came out of Naples. Uh, I had some contact with Arizona State, um, you know, asked them to submit an application, you know, that that answered some of the questions that we just wanted to be able to review, um, you know, make sure that that we were aligned in terms of philosophy, in terms of how they thought about their hockey programs, investments, that sort of thing. So we got that together. We had a small subcommittee um, who worked and just, you know, reviewed those materials initially, uh, put a recommendation forward to the athletics directors, got on a call in, in, in mid-June. Actually, I think it moved a little bit quick, quicker than some people anticipated. I think our coaches actually were a little bit surprised uh, with how quickly mo we moved forward. And um, I do have to say Brad Schlossman was a little bit surprised by how quickly we moved. So uh, we, <laughs> we, we won that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, it, you know, in June, we had that meeting, um, put forth the, forth the recommendation to the board of directors, you know, talked through with them. I had a meeting actually with them, a Zoom call on, on July 2nd. It was a Sunday night, you know, kind of during the holiday, um, the long weekend holiday, but was able to get them on on a call, you know, talked through the opportunities, uh, you know, the, the pros and cons. Um, talked a lot about the scheduling and particularly the pod system, which again, I think was the selling point. Um, and, and we got the vote, you know, th those that day, the next day, um, and, and really moved pretty quickly for the July 5th announcement. So once we got that kind of behind us, we moved to the, to the, the scheduling conversation. There's a guy that we used uh, by the name of Tim Dennehy. Uh, who's been working in college hockey for, I think, decades. I mean, he's worked really closely with stats, with um, with scheduling and those sorts of things. He's got a number of algorithms. We have um, kind of a list of, of parameters that we send to him when we do scheduling, um, you know, about how many weekends, about... Um, Right now, I think our, you know, it says that we can't have teams that travel more than two weekends in a row. We try and, you know, make it home away, but you know, no more than two weekends in a row. Uh, we honor requests. We give all of our schools an opportunity to request, you know, one weekend where they want to be home if there's a special event going on. Uh, we take into account finals and those sorts of things. So we give him um, essentially a spreadsheet that shows all of our institutions and, and what they're looking for. And then he puts it into his magic computer that I know nothing about with all of those algorithms built in. Uh, and then it, it puts out, you know, some scheduling options. So once we get those, we put those before the ADs and coaches, uh, have some conversations. Um, and that's where we, we land. Again, we look at the pros and cons. Um, every institution to some degree is coming from their own angle, you know, saying, well, wait a second, this doesn't look like it's necessarily fair for us. We don't like this part of it. We see what things that we can adjust. And then ultimately, um, when we get to this point in a, in a couple of weeks, you know, ultimately it'll, it'll be a vote of do we support this? Um, and, and so obviously we've got the 23-24 schedule done. We did have a 24-25 schedule. We're going to have to go back and, and, and re-vote on that one. Um, and then obviously, you know, we'll start working on 20. We're, we usually try and be about three years out. So immediately once we get 24-25 and kind of figure out how a nine-team schedule works, what we're what we'd like to do is certainly be be able to set some consistent standards. Um, but I'm also going to say it could work that we do, you know, one thing um, in 2024, 25, just because it's the first year and an addition, and um, and and we've got some some um, 
just our, our Excel contract, uh, you know, fits into that and, and trying to look at some flexibility there. Um, so then we'll go into 25, 26 and start going forward. I think it's fascinating. That is such an interesting dynamic when you are dealing with eight and now nine member institutions yeah. who do all have their own vision of what they want. And as you said, you're taking into account finals and who they've played the week before and then figuring out non-conference and just when you have an umbrella sport like hockey that is six months long and you're spanning all these different sports and everything else that's happening in the cities, there's so much that goes into that. Right. I love that Sim Dennehy is still involved because that's yeah. obviously college hockey stats was a pillar in the yeah. college hockey community for years and years. And I had no idea that he was involved in this yeah. process. No, well. he's that's still awesome. involved and he, he helps out and is just a great resource for us. And I mean, I think in the world of college athletics now, we've just all got to be more nimble. I mean, look at all of the transition that's happening uh, at multiple levels and and changes in conference affiliation, particular, you know, potentially, everyone's just going to have to adjust to schedules that, um, you know, those three and four years out, you know, we'll do our best, but you know, it's going to take nimbleness just as as things hopefully settle down a little bit and and we continue to move forward. But really excited. I mean, I, I think I, I will say um, Sam uh, Cooney and Cooney and our, our office uh, pulled uh, data from from the announcement with Arizona State, and in the 24 hours after that announcement, we saw 640,000 impressions um, across our social media, um, mediums, which is the single most, um, you know, kind of visibility that, that the league has gotten in its history. And, and so I think that, you know, that speaks a little bit to the brand that Arizona state brings. Um, you know, they're the largest institution in the country, uh, between their online and in-person programs, they have 120,000 students or, or something like that. Um, you know, it's just incredible, but, you know, I think it gives us a market in the West that that's really beneficial. And, um, I, I mean, I think it's going to help their recruiting, certainly. Um, you know, I think they're only going to get better as a result of this. Uh, but I think it also, you know, is going to provide us with some visibility in that Phoenix and the LA area, really along the the Western seaboard, um, as we see, continue to see growth in hockey um, in Seattle and Portland and, and, and certainly those areas. So um, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I, I think all of us are, you know, we've got to get through some of these hiccups with scheduling, but, you know, we've got a great year ahead. Um, I think we've got some great teams coming back and, you know, some new players and changes, but, you know, I think this has been a, a great opportunity for the NCHC. Hey, last thing before we let you go, Heather, um, I know uh, Michael Weissman um, is, is working through uh, getting information out about NCHC TV and uh, getting it out to all of our fan bases, but feel free to give a plug about NCHC TV. Absolutely. You know, we love our NCHC uh, TV platform. Um, it gives us so much opportunity, the work that we do with each of our institutions, uh, the opportunity to showcase our programs and do features and, and really be interactive with our fans. Um, you know, we get to control the content in a different way than if we were with a partner. Um, I know some, you know, Flow Sports, ESPN, whatever, but the, the opportunities that we have to share content and, and really to show the inside story with our with our fans, um, you know, Sam does a great job. Michael does a great job in our office of really trying to get those features, the media day um, clips that we do. Uh, you know, NCHC TV is, is all of our action available for everybody. Um, obviously, you subscribe and and you don't just get your home games. You don't just get your team. You can watch all of the NCHC action, you know, across all of our programs. And I think that's one of the things that I'll say about college hockey fans, you know, like, they are so loyal, um, obviously, to their institutions. But I think what we've seen in the NCHC is they're also very loyal to uh, the league as a whole. 
and and they want to know and they want to be able to you know look at the highlights and the clips you know from if you're a UND fan you also want to see what Denver's doing or or who's coming to play at UMD or or St. Cloud State for that matter um and I think that you know with with just the opportunities that we have and you know we continue to push our schools uh in terms of quality of of their broadcasting and quality of of their pictures we don't have full control of that at the conference office but again that's a usually a a, a pretty large conversation point at our spring meetings just to talk about how do we make sure um, that we're providing the cons- consistency and quality of product um, for all of our fans and subscribers. So we're excited for another year. They've been a great sidearm and, and NCHC TV has been a great partner for us and an opportunity. And and to be honest, for our institutions, um, you know, the media deals are, are very different in, in your <clears throat> Big Ten and, and your SEC with their multimedia rights. For our institutions, this is a great opportunity for them to build revenue. Um, a large portion, 85% of, of our share of, of the of the subscription rates goes back to our institutions. So when you're um, subscribing to, to NCHC TV, just know that that as fans, you're supporting your own pr- program. And I think that's critically important as, as we continue to build and, and our programs continue to invest. Those revenue sources and diversifying are, are critically important to the success of our programs. Well, appreciate it, Heather, uh, jumping on. I know you're, uh, I know you're out and about a bit, but uh, I knew our fan base would be excited about hearing uh, kind of the inner workings of Arizona State and more to come on scheduling. So uh, enjoy the rest of what's left of summer. Yeah, thanks again, Heather. All right, take care. Thanks again to Heather Weems getting set to begin her second year as the commissioner of the NCHC. If you want to hear more about Heather's take on Arizona State and some other things, she was just on the Rink Live podcast a couple of weeks ago, and they went a little bit longer on some different topics that we just didn't have a chance to get into today because she's a busy lady, but she's been everywhere. She's had a busy summer, appointing a new director of officiating and Mike Schmidt coming on, changing a bit the format of games. We're going to have two timeouts instead of three now, and obviously the, the huge addition of Arizona State for the 24-25 season and all that comes with that. She's done a great job of helping continue to move this conference forward and it was really fun to hear her perspective on the inside of what goes into adding a conference member and all the fallout that comes with it. Yeah, I thought, I th- you know, it, obviously what comes with it is uh, a differential in scheduling, which we've been so used to because you've had eight teams, right? You've had your travel partners. It's it's never been balanced anyways, right? I mean, it's still been unbalanced in some way, shape or form. And really, that's really what it's going to be. The only thing you know every year that there's two schools that you're going to play home and away. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, um, I think it worked out pretty well. And for us, I think for our fan base, at least you can jump in a car. Um, you know, you can get to Duluth. You can get to St. Cloud if you so choose. And so at least you know that on an annual basis that, you know, those games will be uh, both at the Ralph and uh, obviously at their venues as well. Yeah. And I think that makes the most sense. I think that geographically now, as you break it up, certainly the three Western schools in that pod make a ton of sense. Obviously, Denver and CC are an hour away and Arizona State's just down the road or an easy flight. And then, of course, the three Midwest schools now are kind of back where you sort of feel like maybe they always should have been Omaha and, and Grand Forks are a little bit of a further drive. And of course, that made sense given where everybody else was. But now that UND is with St. Cloud and Duluth, that kind of lines up pretty well. And then, yeah, the Omaha, Miami, and Western Michigan situation is always going to be tough when you've got one that's a little further away from the other two who are close together. But as Heather mentioned, they've been conference mates 
for a long time, which predates the NCHC. And so that rivalry makes sense as well. And yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be the postseason tournament will take some figuring out, but that's all right. The one thing she didn't mention uh, about that postseason tournament that we have to be thoughtful about is the revenue that's generated from that particular tournament certainly helps run the league. And yeah. uh, and so we've we have to be really, really thoughtful looking through a couple different lenses as far as, you know, what might make sense. Now, you know, I I I think I lean in this podcast right now today, I do lean on all nine being in. I mean, I I think you could easily say, well, you could just take eight, right? I mean, and then kind of continue on like you have. I think think we're best served um, when everyone still has uh, a chance. And um, I, I think you go into the last week of the season and you don't want someone that's not necessarily uh, in it at that point in time. And, and here's the other thing I worry about too, Alex, the way we know how hockey works. A lot of our, our student athletes potentially are thinking about signing a pro contract or they're doing some things. And if they're already eliminated from contention and, and, and technically their season is actually over without the season being over, I do worry about I'll call it the integrity of, of the entire regular season. And, you know, we see it, I mean, in premier soccer, there's a reason why all the teams are vested right up into the last, that last uh, um, particular game of the year. And so, uh, you know, so who knows? I mean, I, now again, I, I guess you could say, well, some, some teams are already eliminated. They know they're being relegated to some degree. Oh, sure. I, I guess that's the case, but I think our league is so strong that, you know, you could have a, a, you know, you could have lost your best player in the first half of the season comes back in February. All of a sudden you're starting to make a run and who knows you could be that dangerous team. Yeah, I, I, that's a great parallel. I think we saw with the Summit League how they transitioned from having one team miss out on the conference tournament. And then, of course, they got to 10 teams a couple of years ago and changed that model to allow all 10 basketball teams have a shot to have that experience. And then this spring, Kansas City's women are the 10 seed and they win two games at the tournament and make the semifinals and have this great run and nearly make the championship game. And it's... It's always that balance between wanting the best, especially in basketball where it's a one-bid league and you want your best team to represent the conference, et cetera, have the best chance to move forward. But in the NCHC with hockey, when you're going to have three, four, five, maybe six, make the NCAAs, you know, it's not the worst thing to keep everybody alive and to allow those student athletes another shot, another avenue to make the NCAAs. And if it's a single elimination tournament, like half of the league tournament has been, Who's to say that you can't get that? CC was the seventh seed this last year. That's right. And they were That's 60 right. minutes away from making the NCAA. Yeah, you don't want to hope, right? Uh, hope is what you want. I mean, you just want a kernel. Just give me a chance uh, as you go through it. And, you know, honestly, Alex, look at our men's basketball team last year. They're playing their best ball at the end of the year yeah. and uh, won a game in the tournament. And then, of course, you know, uh, the juggernaut that was ORU last year ended up losing to them. But I... I think what ended up happening was it kind of gave us a pretty good feel going into the off season and then kind of carry that momentum into this particular year. So, so however that goes, I think we'll make a thoughtful decision. Um, and we just have to be, uh, as, 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 uh, Heather said, nimble and making sure that, um, you know, we're doing what's right in this moment of time. 
Yeah, that's exciting. Yes. Anytime you get something new like this, there's that balance between respecting the tradition that has been in place, but then also understanding that things have changed. Certainly the NCAA landscape has changed. College hockey has changed. And there's an opportunity here to provide something new that is different and exciting that fans can can get really amped up about and that, that that's the opportunity that's at hand now with adding Arizona State and everything that comes with it yeah I I wasn't here uh the first go around when uh Arizona State was uh kind of you know trying to figure out their conference situation once they uh went to division one hockey but you know whatever the list was whatever the checklist was they've checked it off I mean they've done a, a really good job um and so we're excited about adding them and uh you know I I would say that uh you know for the majority of the league that's in cold weather uh you know environments certainly a trip to Tempe is probably not the worst that is the obvious one that comes to mind, I think, from the uh, from the geographic standpoint, that you can zip down an easy flight, go enjoy some sun for a couple of days in January and February. Those are, those are positive things. Plus, too, I know from a North Dakota perspective, UND just played Arizona State this past year in Las Vegas in the Hockey Hall of Fame game. We had a chance to get to know, at least it feels like we got to know, Greg Powers, the head coach people around the program, you know, the university itself a little bit, like it's a quality place. And yeah. Greg's a great coach and a great guy. And he's been there for 15 years or so first as the club hockey coach. And then is the, the only D one coach they've ever known since they made that transition. Like that's a program that's going to add a lot to this league. I know this league didn't need any help in getting any stronger, but they're going to make the league stronger. And in this world of when they're went ahead, they mentioned only 64 teams. When you've got nine of the best, that helps. That certainly helps raise the profile and continue to keep it going forward. Yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, excited about it. I thought Heather was the was the right guest to kick off our our pod season and so uh, or a pod year. And so uh, we'll have we'll have more guests like we did last year. We'll kick off uh, each pod with a with a with a guest and uh, and we get to learn something right as far as what's going on in the landscape of intercollegiate athletics. That's the goal of this podcast: to educate, to entertain to laugh, to enjoy all the things. That's what we've been about for the last six years. Go through all the emotions. (laughs) Uh, So that's what's going on from an NCHC perspective. Bill, what else is happening around UND, around the NCAA? What has this summer brought to your desk? You know, Alex, we ended up doing a couple videos uh, throughout the summer and put them on fightinghawks.com just because I thought that, you know, Eric, I, and Jody meet uh, uh, weekly, and we, uh, it, as as Jody says, really it's success season. This is like you, your building blocks for success is occurring during the summer months. And yes, you may not have games, and uh, for sure, uh, you know our teams are are working out in the weight room, those types of things. I think the analogy, in some ways, is similar things administratively happen, right? There's projects going on. There's, um, you know, facility, uh, both I'll call them minor projects, quote unquote, and more major uh, projects that are occurring on campus right now that are going to affect athletics for years to come. And so, you know, I I think you've got your pulse on that and you're trying to figure out what are the right things to support your student athletes in your programs. What can you do to be a difference maker? And 
One of the things, you know, we introduced was uh, our 701 awards, and uh, we are going to, uh, and again, that Alston case, that Supreme Court case back in 2021, which allowed some additional support, funding support for your student athletes. Uh, we kind of took last year, Alex, and, and we really monitored the landscape and we knew that the power fives were doing it for sure. Um, I think folks in, I'll call it our, our area code, if you will, the, that the, the FBS, the lower, I'll call it the group of five FBS and upper FCS type of groups. I, I think they were trying to figure out how to kind of move forward with this. So we spent the entire academic year last year, figuring out what is in the best interest of UND. And I think what we came up with was, you know, we're going to, we're going to kind of alter some of our resources that we currently have. And then we had our institution, which was just awesome. We were able to go through a process, a strategic investment process, which was actually chaired by faculty members that, that, provided us the opportunity for a runway for a, for the next five years to be able to provide these, uh, um, these awards, these academic awards. Uh, and I, I think, where we are right now, it's the right thing for us. I mean, it almost is our ode to a collective, if you will. That's kind of our collective. But ultimately, where we're excited about it is it's an earned award, whereas a scholarship is on the front end, cost of attendance is on the front end. These are back-end awards. So one, you have to make sure you're doing it right in the classroom. Obviously, you have to do right at the institution, but ultimately, whatever the coaches decide, because they'll all get a pool of money, whatever they decide on the front end, if you've earned it, say for the fall semester, you'd you'd have get it, say, in February timeframe. And then for the spring semester, you'd get it like in August or September of the next year. And so it, we'll have to figure out if you've graduated, if you go pro. So there's some things, there's some uh, you know, tweaking that we have to figure out. So, but ultimately we, we want you to do well in the classroom and we want you to be back. I mean, I mean, we want, so, so we were kind of excited about that. I know others have done the collective world and that's okay too. I, I mean, everyone's got to do what's right for themselves. We felt like this was right for you, Andy. It seems to make a lot of sense. I think from an, a university run athletic department, you know, your the goal is, you always talk about it. Get, get the kids across the finish line. Help them to graduate. Give them some more incentive to stick around and to enjoy the experience that UND can provide and to get their diploma. And these awards, as you said, are really tailored towards that. You know, if you are doing the right things in the classroom and staying committed and, and being a student athlete, this is an award that you can earn. And I think that's that seems that it just seems it seems right. It seems to resonate and check a lot of the right boxes in sort of this wild west that we've entered in the last two years of not having a ton of regulation when it comes to NIL and some of the other rules that are out there. Well, a couple things. We probably should just stay right in this topic because I think it's a fair one. Um, and I think uh, uh, we, we were talking about uh, pre-pod is President Baker is going to come to Sioux Falls. And so and one, he's got two agenda items, tr truly. One is to try to figure out some sort of consistency with name, image, and likeness. And I, I think that's number one across all 50 states because right now it's been – weird would be probably be kind at this stage of the game. But, you know, the collectives, the way the NCA rules are right now is institutions are to not have anything ultimately to do with those external groups that mm -hmm. what we're doing 
is we're able to continue to be teammates with our foundation, our group, you know, Val Sussex and uh, Tim Belmore and Colton Sanderson, and go out to our alums and say, hey, you know, we've got kind of a runway right now, but we would love support so that we can fund this beyond obviously the runway that we have because it was imperative given the landscape of where we are right now that we had to do something at this point and we felt like this was the right thing for us you know if you have an external group you know i, I they, they of course are going to kind of do what they need to do but i'm not quite sure sometimes that might be uh in alignment with exactly what each program would want to do at that point in time so more to come, I think, when President Baker comes to Sioux Falls, and I think Josh Fenton might be on a, a panel with him to discuss kind of the landscape of of um, of maybe all of intercollegiate athletics, not just the Division One landscape. And so uh, excited about that. And we'll get Josh on this pod afterwards. But you know, we're excited about it. I I, I think it, it was again the right thing for us. Our coaches, all of our programs, have a pool of dollars to dole out uh, on a very equitable, gender equitable basis. And so that was the other piece of the puzzle that I felt like was really important for us. So we really thought through it. I mean, we, we Chad Karthauser, myself and Eric Martinson spent a lot of time uh, canvassing the country and we took best practices from around the country. And I think we've kind of incorporated them to what we want to do. And then we'll continue to evolve however it works moving forward. Yeah, it's, it's exciting news. When that broke earlier, gosh, maybe just last month, I suppose, we got the news in, in July that this was coming. I think it was really well received. I think people are still figuring out exactly maybe what it is or how this all works or how it compares to a collective and all that stuff. But I think that the the idea is great and the execution is going to be great. And in the end, it's going to continue to help the athletics programs that a lot of the people who are listening to this really hold dear in their hearts continue to progress. And that's, that's again... That, that's what you're going. For. You're trying to help these kids in every aspect, and this is another way to do. That. You know, Alex. I, you know, the last last thing I'll say about this, and we'll probably talk about it more. You know, as we go on through the year as well, um, and give updates on how it's going. But it, I think let's call it five to seven to ten years ago, somewhere in that range. Life really changed for our student athletes where it's a 12 month commitment. And I, I would say, and I say this loosely that many of our student athletes are here at least a good chunk of that calendar year. And so anything that we can do to try to support them in some way, shape or form, it is a bit different than what it once was. And so for those of you that might've been an athlete and might've been like, well, you know, in my day, you know, uh, however that goes well today, uh, you know, there's times it, 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 where it feels like our, our teams are always practicing. It's a matter of how often they can practice and for how many hours, whether it's your championship segment or non-championship segment. And so, so our students are here. And so I think anything we can do to continue to support them because they're incredibly good ambassadors for the institution. And I just think that was something that our institution and I thank our, our entire institution for, for seeing this as uh, you know something that uh, made a whole lot of sense for us. Now it's on us to kind of go out to our unbelievable donors to try to hopefully support this over the course of time and set up endowments. And actually, that's got actually gone pretty well at this point in time. People are very, very receptive to it. The 701 Award. It's going to be huge. 
everybody. Well, Bill mentions that student athletes are on campus all the time and they're always working towards a goal and that their championship seasons are just a part of what they're up to. And, and the, the cool thing is championship season for our fall sports is basically underway. We saw now that it's August 2nd as we're recording this, our fall sports are basically back. Football arrived two days ago. Yes, I'm trying to even remember now on the timeline. They've arrived this week. They'll begin practice. Same thing with women's soccer. They were taking pictures yesterday. Cross country and volleyball soon to follow as well. It, we're in it. It's already it's already here. Things are already happening as we start to build toward another regular season, which is just around the corner. Really exciting. I, uh, you know, it's every year is exciting, Alex. Truly, I mean, right? I mean, it, it's it's kind of like you know, if you ever go down to Florida and see spring training, the smell of the fresh cut grass and all that stuff. That's like it's it's just really awesome. It's a similar type of scenario for us. Um, you know, it's kind of ultimately uh, just awesome for us too is the amount of home games we have this year uh women's soccer lots of home games hockey lots of home games this year football lots of home games this year and uh volleyball still will have their uh they kind of do those tournaments at the beginning of the year before the conference so we'll still have our own tournament as well so that's kind of how that works in the volleyball world so yeah it's uh that that is encouraging and should help our our programs as well. You mentioned all those home dates. Football will have six home games mm-hmm. this year, which is exciting. Maybe one or two more even than what they normally have. Women's soccer plays their first six games at home. Twelve of their first fourteen will be at home. They only have six road games the entire regular season. Isn't that crazy? That's a big change from what they've had in recent years. Nice to get. Nice to be on that end. For Chris Logan and crew as he enters year seven. And then he said volleyball, uh, September the 7th through the 9th. Three home dates with the UND Classic coming up. And then, of course, their regular conference home portion, which will begin in late September. But that is – that is, and, of course, cross country will be here for the Ron Penn Classic as yep. well uh, yep. coming up. So a lot of opportunities to, to watch and support these athletic programs in the fall without having to leave the city limits. That's exciting. It, it is. And, uh, and then I think if you uh, sneak into, uh, into the hockey season, I think we have 24 home games. And yeah. so, uh, you know, it just, it, it, every year is literally its own, but this one just kind of worked out where, holy cow, we've got a lot of folks, uh, a lot of games coming to us this year in which is great. Our, our students are not having to travel as much, you know, and, you know, if they have to, they do it. I mean, but, but ultimately it'll be great for them to be in Grand Forks and come on out, support, support these, uh, these programs. I know that they would love to uh, have as much support as possible. Yeah, hockey, by the way, as you said, first seven at home all the entire month of October, they'll be at the Ralph, which is great. And and some big games coming up as well with Minnesota coming to the building, Wisconsin with the icebreaker. And we have a couple months before that comes. So we'll get we'll get there for sure. But it's exciting. Those things are not that far away. So uh, that is more or less what's going on on August the 2nd around the University of North Dakota. Let's do a little flip over to the B side because there's a lot to catch up on. Now, if you're new to this podcast, the bulk is North Dakota, NCAA, what's happening in Bill Chaves' world. The final quarter, or if you whatever, the final period, if you want to call it, is usually just the random stuff that, that Bill and I happen to both enjoy in life, which is typically soccer, the Red Sox, what else is happening around the world of sports? And in, in those worlds, it's been a busy summer. A lot of stuff happening within our respective 
favorite clubs in the English Premier League. You know, Women's World Cup is going on. Obviously, the Red Sox have had some some fits and starts and have had some pretty good stretches of late since the All-Star break. What do you want to start with, Bill, on the B-side today? The first B-side of Season 6. Yeah, first, well, probably should start with Harry Kane, right? Is Harry Kane going to Germany? <laughs> I would say that Harry Kane's probably going to Germany. Do you? So we'll start here. So Bill's a huge Tottenham Hotspur fan. Uh, they're North London club, proud tradition. They have got a striker named Harry Kane, who's English, who's been there forever since he was a little kid. And uh, club legends, club all-time leading goal scorer. He's in the last year of his contract. And the whole push, the narrative has been, do you sell someone that's probably going to leave when this is all over and get a return on investments and use that money to rebuild your team? Or do you keep him around for one more year and try and win a trophy and send him off in the right way? You have a new manager and Ange Postacoglu. You have potentially a new board. I think your president, not Daniel Levy, but your president is being indicted for some insider trading. We won't talk about that today. But that, that's it. Bayern Munich, the German giants, they need a striker. They just sold Saudi Omane to Saudi Arabia, which we're going to talk about in a little bit as well, because that's a whole different thing. And they're apparently $25 million apart on valuation of what Harry Kane is worth to them, even though they've submitted a couple different bids. I would say that he's gone. What do you think, Bill? Yeah, I, I, you know, I know last year when we signed off, I, I thought Harry Kane would be with Tottenham this year. I I do think there's a threat there I, I that he could go... Um, I guess if they could get to a hundred million, I think uh, I think that's probably the the magic number at this stage of the game. Uh, I'm surprised though a little bit. I I I, th- I thought he'd want to stay in England. I I think Tottenham had no interest in selling him to anybody in England, and so I don't know. I I, I it's hard to say. I know their their new manager. Um, obviously he wants to kind of get on with it, if you will, and I don't blame him. And uh, I think he's handled it well. Um, I, I guess I would sell him, sadly, because I, I think you're going to need to try to figure out the club. You got a new manager. Give him a chance to to kind of build it his way. And then sneakily, I mean, you can actually argue because um, Richarlson is on the team, he could, st- he could still at least fill in to that position. He probably plays – Angus style better than Harry Kane does, even though Harry Kane's ridiculous. So, but all that to be said, yeah, I probably am leaning that way, but it wouldn't shock me though, if, if the transfer window comes, it goes, and he's still with the Spurs. I think it's funny that Bayern just haven't paid what they want. I, that's the part that I think cracks I know. me up a little bit, that you're in this position where you have not unlimited resources, but Bayern Munich. They they have pretty much unlimited resources. Just go get them. Why are we haggling over you know ten million to ten million pounds? Just just go make the offer and get them on your team. And if you're Spurs, it's same thing. Like I think you need to just move on. The transfer window doesn't close until September the first, so the season starts in basically ten days. It does and you're gonna have the first month of your season clouded over this, and you don't want a new era with this looming over you just he's gonna leave he wants to leave he's gonna leave next year yep get take the money i take know the money move on start i know over. i know and, and, and i would say yeah the timing uh for sure it's never good i mean when it's just looming to some degree but yeah if it's gonna happen sooner is better 
and just get it done and and allow him to build the team because uh, you know they, they'll still be okay i mean they're going to be okay they just got to get better defensively they're horrible defensively like they, <laughs> they 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 are just amazingly bad i mean they were probably historically bad last year for a team finishing in the top 10 in the premier league it it, it was hard to believe and then they played a team that probably is not awesome um, on their little tour that has, that's a whole nother story that's going on there, but uh, games getting canceled and whatever. But, um, but they of course gave up the first goal to that particular team, you know, and I, I don't know. They're just, they've got to get some defenders, Alex. They've got to get some defenders. Yeah. I need a goalkeeper too. Hugo Lloris is no longer with the team. It's, it's going to be a new era all across the board there at White Hart Lane. Yeah, year. it'll be exciting. It'll be exciting. I, You know, I mean, we're Spurs. We This is what we do. <laughs> well, good luck to you in that. But yeah, we'll see. Watch that saga unfold over the next couple of weeks. Now, you lost game. your captain to Saudi Arabia, is that correct? Yeah, this is, this, is a big, this is a big news. Who hasn't lost their captain to Saudi Arabia? So the Saudi <sighs> Arabian Pro League, if you've not been following this, has the top the big four? There are four teams that are now funded by the Saudi Arabian government, PIF, essentially, who's the governing body now of golf, basically. Like they, the Saudis have kind of just they've had a moment right now in deciding, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna invest and we have money to invest in sport across the board. And so, these four Saudi teams, which are now owned by the government, now all of a sudden have all this money to spend. And they have gone out and, and brought in the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo and Kareem Benzema and N'Golo Kante and a lot of big names who are more or less at the tail end of their careers into the fold. And it's very rare if you've, if you've followed world soccer for a long time. Same thing happened about eight years ago with China. China mm-hmm. decided, let's create a super league. We're going to bring in all these big stars, overpay for these guys. And that flamed out after a couple of years. I don't know if this will flame out. This seems like it's a little more long lasting. There's a little more conviction behind these purchases. But all of these clubs in England and in Spain and in Germany and Italy have been touched by this. And in some sense, for some, like for Chelsea, for example, they've essentially been able to offload all the guys who were not going to play for them this year for way more than what they were worth to Saudi Arabia. For others, for Liverpool, they lose Jordan Henderson, who's mm-hmm. their captain, who was probably going to be maybe not a nailed-on starter week in, week out because they've tweaked some things in midfield. And he's 33 now, and there's some stuff there. But he essentially goes to go play for Steven Gerrard, former Liverpool great, who's now a manager down there. And the fact that it is happening late July, early August, that's a huge blow because he's been their captain for the last eight years and is such an integral figure in their locker room. And now he's just gone unexpectedly because of this swoop and it's, and they also lost Fabinho uh, who was their other sort of midfield anchor also to Saudi Arabia. It's, it's a little bit uh, unnerving that, you know, the team that you thought you were going to have and people who you thought were absolutely not going to leave both, both Henderson and Fabinho had time left on their contracts are just gone because the money is ridiculous it throws a wrench in things. What are your thoughts about the Saudi takeover of world soccer? <laughs> yeah, I, it's really interesting. They've uh, they've made a decision, obviously, and they have endless supplies of money to be able to do this at this stage of the game. Uh, you know, uh, the one thing that the 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 pod is and the B side is is really not political. But we're not going to get into the political side of this. But it's just. It's interesting. I mean, you can read a lot about this, uh, mm-hmm. but y- you're right, Alex. I mean, they are they're making a play 
for just about, let's just call it everyone. <laughs> and, and so uh, no one is safe at this stage <laughs> of the game. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know what to think. You know, you're right that when, when you mentioned, and I, I read a little bit about what China was trying to do uh, a, a few years ago. It, did it kind of flame out though? I mean, it, was it just not? Yeah, the investment. So I think the big thing there was that the the people they brought in and, and the teams they had there, it just didn't capture the, the attention it of didn't. the people in China. Okay. And it also didn't make waves around the rest of the world. People weren't watching the Chinese Super League yep. outside of China. And even in China, it didn't quite uh, kick on like they thought. And so the government funding, the, the investment just tailed off. And they yep. still have a league, but people now, it's not a destination. So how do you think that, so if you use that as sort of, the model as to what's happened once before are people, whoever people are, I mean, are, are they going to watch the, this product? I mean, what are we talking about here? I know. I think part of it is like, where are they going to watch this product? I think in the United States, you can't get these games. I don't believe, I don't, I don't think that there is a television deal or a streaming deal. You could probably find it illegally somewhere being streamed online, but it's not like it's going to be on yeah. Fox or CBS or on Paramount Plus or ESPN Plus for that matter. But I think that there's probably enough sort of the novelty of like, oh, so you're telling me that Cristiano Ronaldo now plays on the same team as N'Golo Conte and Alex Tellis and some of these guys who you know, and like, oh, and they're going to play Kareem Benzema's team. And Roberto Firmino now plays over there. And I think there'll be a little bit of that maybe globally just because like, oh, well, how, what does this look like? What is the level like? But right, right now it's not, I mean, it's, it's not like anything that's going to threaten it, it, the yeah. top leagues in Europe. I, that's what I was thinking. Like, what's the sustainability? Because at the end of the day, the one thing they're getting is notoriety of the yes. signings, but it's almost like you're going to go into the ether at some point because you'll just never... I'll never see Firmino play again, ever. I, I mean, I, I, ever. Like, the, never. Like, what? Yeah. It, it's, I hate to say ever or never, but I, I'm never going to watch that game. So, Ronaldo, I, it, to me, it's a rumor that he's playing. I, I have no idea. So, I just, I, I would love to know what their end game is. Yes, they're disrupting. Uh, like, there's no doubt there's major disruption going on, but lots of guys at the tail end. No different than the golfers made a decision at their mm -hmm. juncture of their career. And so, yeah, I, I get that financial side of it, but I just don't know what the end game is. Like, uh, you know, maybe maybe we look back and say 10 years ago or 10 years from now that ooh, everyone's watching it. Maybe, I, I guess, mm -hmm. but I, I don't I don't see it in the short term. Yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, it is possible that the numbers become so ridiculous and they start to target younger players yep. and it becomes a destination where the league is strong enough because you right now, if you're a young up and coming talented player, yep. that's not a league that you'd want to play no. for no matter what the paycheck would be because that's going to take your career in a different direction. That's like right. You don't it's not a champion. I mean, it's it's outside of the European spectrum, so you don't play in Champions League which everybody wants. You Well, take Mbappe, right? He I yep. mean, he's not going to go. They offered him 700 million euros yes. for one year. For one year yep. with the expectation that he would leave after that. And he was like, "No, I'm good. <laughs> I don't I don't want to go." And so that's the thing. I don't think that it'll be a league that people will 
trend towards if they have legitimate career yeah. aspirations of playing for their country, playing in the biggest competitions. Because that's the thing. It's going to be a European Championships year in 2024 for the men. Yeah. And it'll be really interesting to see if the likes of Jordan Henderson get recalled by England for that yep. tournament or if Kareem Benzema is playing for France or if some of these players that have gone to the Saudi league do get called up on countries that are deeper. Yeah. And I would say that they probably will not. Yeah. Part, partly because they're older anyway and they might not have been called up if they would have stayed in their domestic leagues. But now the level of competition has gone down. And I, it, it's essentially going to be a bit of a retirement league yep. in the short term. I would agree. But that also kind of messes up everything and screws up the finances of world football. It, it does. It does. And, uh, you know, so who knows? I mean, the, probably the last thing we should touch on, we'll touch on the Red Sox next pod. I mean, we'll see if they're still involved. I mean, I, you know what? Good for them. They, they've made, they've made a run at it. Uh, to mm -hmm. some level, they're going to get some reinforcements back from the – IL, we think at least for a minute, and so we'll see how that goes. Just don't ride any bikes. Um, bikes are bad. Bikes are bad. Don't don't no no bike riding in Boston. We don't want that to happen. But the uh, I, I would say the messy invasion has been interesting, huh? That is something else too. That the uh, Messi had the opportunity to go to the Saudi League, and that was going to be a multi-billion dollar situation over the course of his time there and turned that down to come to MLS. And Inter-Miami went from being the last place team in the league, not a uh, destination, <laughs> not, a, not a place that had had much success. And overnight, Messi comes and now that's must-see TV, and it's magic. And did you, did you get a chance to watch his uh, first you, you know, it, 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 no. The answer's no. But of sort, <laughs> saw the highlight, of course, but awesome theater. Oh, incredible. I, this is the world's greatest player, still kind of at the peak of his powers, pretty close, on the downslope, but still coming off less than a, month, you know, a year removed from winning a World Cup, and now he's here in the U.S., and it's just a... It is a circus everywhere that guy goes. Let's leave the pod on this question, Alex Heiner. It's for you. And this is, I'll call it a debate that I had with my son, Derek. He says, for sure, the greatest player ever, Messi. What say you? I don't know if you can say for sure. That's It's a hard thing to compare eras because you would say the the, the men that he's up against, if you look just at men's footballers, are probably Pelé and Maradona. And the, the one thing that Messi did not have that those two had several of was a World Cup championship. And yeah. now Messi has that as well. And so I, I think that it's just – I think it's impossible in this sport. Basketball, I think, is a little bit different. I think you could almost say, yeah, yeah Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time or LeBron James is the greatest of all time. If you want to make those sorts of arguments – because you're essentially playing, you're only, only 10 guys on the court. Soccer, I feel, is different. What Messi is doing is different than what Pelé is doing is different than what Maradona is did. I, I think it's just a little bit different. Okay, today. so I always say to our staff, the, ask great questions. Ask great questions. I didn't ask a great question. I said an okay question. <laughs> a better question is Alex Heiner is starting a team tomorrow with one of those three in his prime. Who are you choosing? That's a great question. I think if the question is, are you getting that player and you and their career will play out exactly like it did in 
the way that it did, I think that you'd probably take Messi. I think Pele would be second. Maradona would be third, of course, because things fell off the rails because of drugs and things like that. It, but I mean, and, and obviously I didn't, I wasn't alive when Pele was playing in his prime and was an infant when, when Maradona was at the tail end of his. So you only see the highlights. And I just know having experienced Messi and seeing what he did for Barcelona for all those years and for Argentina for that matter. And the incredible rates of production that like that guy just won stuff and he had great teams around him but he was the catalyst for a lot of the good that happens in Barcelona for all those trophies and all the goals that he produced and the magic again the guy's just magic when he's on the field I mean he would be a it'd be tough to argue against picking Messi as your first overall pick in that particular draft. Yes. What about you, Bill? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I think we agree. Uh, Maradona would be third on, I, I think we both agree with that. I think I would go with Pele. I, I, I mm-hmm. here's, here's what I would say. I'm a little bit older than you. So I, I was able to watch the tail end of his career when he came over to the NASL with uh, the Cosmos. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously he was older at that point in time. I love the, um, if you kind of YouTube him, uh, some of the fields he had to play on. Yeah. I mean, it just, they were not manicured. <laughs> and so I, it's hard to know that from an era standpoint, how, how he would have, you know, if it was flipped, how, how would mm-hmm. he have gone? But I don't think you could go wrong with either. I would say so too. I think, I think Pele, if Pele would have been born in the same era as Messi, it, I mean, he would have been just as big of, if not at, bigger, a superstar yeah. based on, the type of training he would have gotten and the way that he would have been treated and the way he would have taken care of his body and all the things. It just, it's just so hard to compare eras. Fun, fun to talk about. That's right to compare. That's right. Well, there you go. So I, uh, so you kind of leaned into Derek's camp. Wow. Okay. I'm uh, it's two to one. It's all right. It's okay. I'm good. (laughs) I just know it's just hard to, I think this is why so many young people think that LeBron is the greatest basketball player of all time. Where people that it's were born watched, in the 70s think Jordan. And people who were born in the 50s would say Bill Russell. Like it's just – it's what you've seen and what you've seen day in, day out. I think it's yep. just – it's hard to not have watched Leo Messi for the last 15, yep. 20 years do incredible things yep. and win everything and not be like, man, I can't – can you imagine anybody better than that guy? It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine. Yeah, well, and, and what are we talking? We're like – it, 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 it hairs. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you'd be okay with either one. You'd be okay with either one. I think you would do just fine in the table if you had either of those guys uh, leading the line. So, well, that's going to do it, I think, for our first episode of our new season of the Build Shapes podcast. Bill, again, great to kickstart this thing and get excited for another year with you. Same, this. Alex. No doubt. Well, we'll be back in two weeks. Another special guest coming on board. More things to talk about. Be sure to subscribe and, and listen all throughout the season as we go behind the curtain of UND Athletics and the NCAA with Bill and, and special guests all year long for UND Athletic Director Bill Shaves, for Heather Weems, NCHC Commissioner, for our entire behind-the-scenes crew with Kelsey and Paul and Alec. I'm Alex Seiner of Midco Sports. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>